here for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us Hello Julia Hello Kate Oh man so I went to Chicago this week and I got to tell you, they hate Rahm Emanuel there. They yeah. hate him as much as as much as we, we do. do. Yeah, I mean, no. if not more. I Absolutely. mean, he's truly, truly detested by his former constituents. I, 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 you know, I said this on the podcast last week. I'm so shocked that he was elected twice. People hate him there so much. That just shows the corrupt machine of Chicago politics. Yeah. Speaking of the corrupt machine, there was a New York Times piece this week about how the establishment would like to stop bernie sanders and i'd seen this somewhere before but um in this episode we talk uh, a lot about our friend pete Buttigieg. Mm -hmm. uh but yeah uh david brock near attendant and pete Buttigieg, and then a bunch of like billionaire donors were well, yeah meeting like this, this is like pete's Function. Oh, it's kind of like the the origin story of Pete Buttigieg's. Yeah, well, the real origin story is that he ran for chair of the DNC. That was like his first time he tried to get out of South Bend, and then he lost that race because you know what? If there's one thing that man doesn't have, it's a lot of people who are willing to vote for him. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so Pete Buttigieg, um, that is uh, that could be why you see him, why you see him here. Um, how was your week, Julia? It was good. I had my birthday party on Saturday, and how I got, was it? it? It rocked. I I got I had called to like reserve the the back room just because I was having a joint birthday party with some people, and they were like, "Yeah, sure." And then they just they gave it for four hours to these people who were having a murder mystery party. <laughs> so there was a murder mystery happening for like four hours, but they left eventually and we were able to use the back room and it was really fun. I did get too drunk. And, but before that, uh, I had, you know, the most me birthday. I did uh canvassing for, for both two local socialist candidates who were running here in New York and also, um, kind of running on an extension of Bernie's housing platform, but it's Jabari Brisport and Farah Soufran, and they're running for state legislature and state Senate, and they're so great. And I had so much, I love canvassing. I love getting back out and talking to people and realizing that the internet is fake. <laughs> And that it's like, like I, I spent as, as I'm sure you do, I spend so much time thinking about like lefty infighting and these really specific arguments that we have on Twitter specifically. And then I get out and talk to voters. These are like New York liberal voters who are excited to vote for socialist local candidates, but who think that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are too far left and therefore cannot defeat Trump. <laughs> I think that that's why Biden's support is so high is because people just no, think I think, can I think that's right. I think it's name recognition and people who think that we need a moderate. It's arguing from a position of the invisible white male Michigan voter. Here's another really stupid thing I saw this week. Uh, another uh, reply guy, um, the executive editor of the New York Times. Um, his name <laughs> is Dean Baquette. Um, says that he is instructed uh, reports reporters um to uh not 
uh, be like in for Bernie or Warren um, because that's not what they're doing. They're not supposed to go that far left. And um, he also, uh, this is in a piece in The Guardian, um, he, he also uh, says, um, he was also asked about why they don't call Trump racist mm-hmm. in their publication um and uh he says we can't know uh i don't know i think donald trump says racially divisive things i think that's a little bit different i'm not in his head to know whether he says them because he wants to stoke his base i mean it's like <laughs> oh this is like last week when like all the stephen miller emails came out that's basically revealed he was like a white supremacist i didn't read it because i was just like yeah fucking obviously i mean anyone who's even slightly connected to breitbart is a white supremacist yeah yeah but i mean the new york times is obsessed with fighting leftism yeah they have hired so many i mean it's just so many right-wing journalists to work or (laughs) op-ed columnists specifically your ross douthats your david brooks whatever obviously they have just like a deluge of uh neoliberal writers and journalists of course but they i mean what really sets them apart from even like your washington post is just how many conservative writers they have who like make up a very large part of their bark yeah i mean this is this is very revealing in this piece it says he warned junior staff and readers against pushing to embrace left-wing democratic candidates such as elizabeth warren or bernie sanders saying the outlet would lose its status if it openly sided with particular politicians they probably want a more political new york times than i'm willing to give them i hope they will learn over time that a new york times that plays it straight has much more power and much more longevity okay that's that's such garbage it's garbage because they they are very political they are very political and, and for some reason it's not political if they're centrist exactly so they what they're saying is they don't want to be apolitical they just want they don't want anybody supporting a candidate who isn't centrist center yeah center left yeah That's, yeah but what a reply guy all right so should we talk about the news that uh rocked left twitter this week all right so uh we want to talk about elizabeth warren's um medicare for all proposal and you know i gotta say speaking of niche issues this is this issue has has caused us some emotion we have strong feelings about it so we're we're just gonna start from a place of kate and i are both bernie supporters we love each other very much. But I think that Elizabeth Warren is a neoliberal shell. No, 100%. I'm just kidding. I don't 100%. think that. 100% this is. <laughs> <laughs> Remember how we had Killary? Well, how about Kill Elizabeth? <laughs> Kill Elizabeth Warren. Warren. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> the Liz Warren body count. <laughs> Let's go. So after reading Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for All proposal, I'm more convinced than ever that she is a lizard person who was involved in epstein's murder yep (laughs) um no okay we'll stop this line of joking but uh i I don't like it i i I do not like it and i understand why (laughs) yeah i do and i and i honestly mostly agree with you i just understand okay so elizabeth warren 
Do you want to lay out what it says? Sure. Yeah. So Elizabeth Warren released this detailed plan, as is her way of uh, basically what's going to happen in the first term of her presidency, how she is going to pass Medicare for all. In the first 100 days of her presidency, um, instead of, you know, this is where it immediately differs from Bernie Sanders, because in his first 100 days, he doesn't have a specific, he hasn't laid out a timeline exactly, but he has said that in his first 100 days, he will introduce a full Medicare for all bill. Um, But she said that because of the current makeup of the House and Senate, in the first 100 days, she's going to introduce a bill that would lower the, the age of Medicare to 50 and also cover everyone under the age of 18 and everyone who is within 200% of the federal poverty line, um, which would be a total of over 100 million people would uh, additional people would would receive coverage from that. And then continue building towards passing it after the 2022 midterms. Um, And there's also some other I mean, there's some other things in this plan, like immediately banning all health insurance lobbying so no one would be allowed to uh, lobby in government uh, on behalf of health private health insurance companies and it is still going basically she thinks that getting so many more people covered will make it easier to pass full medicare for all in 20 like by the end of her first term after midterms um and I think the reason that even though I don't, I don't, I don't want to defend this too much, but the reason why I understand the mechanisms of this is because the current makeup of the House and Senate is such, especially in the Senate, where even passing something through budget reconciliation, we have about six senators who are on record opposing Medicare for all Democrats, six Democrats. Uh, Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, Doug Jones, Ben Cardin, and Bob Menendez, and one other person who I can't remember. I don't like them, so I don't need to remember. (laughs) But I think the thinking is that with the initial stopgap measures, the Band-Aid part of this plan, after that, public opinion will turn in favor of Medicare for All, because as a national issue, it still is struggling a little bit. Um, and also it'll become it'll become something that either these senators who currently oppose it can't ignore anymore or they will be primaried by people who support it and will pass it. Yeah, I mean, to me, that that seems reasonable. If I if I thought it would work out that way, I would think it was a fine plan. But mm-hmm. I don't even think that there is a chance of getting a public option through at this point. The insurance companies are going to be uh, so against it. I'll, I'll read you a quote that I think really exemplifies my point of view about it. It's not like the powerful industries will just let a public option slide through. So either one will be a fight. If we are to defeat this power, we need a truly enormous grassroots movement that only exists for Medicare for all. No one is going to get arrested for the Public Option Choice Act of 2021. I totally agree with that. Do you know who said that? It was Audie Barkin three weeks ago no, totally. when he thought that Elizabeth Warren was going to not push the public option. <laughs> well, I don't see this. So, I mean, but but I think his point there is that like Elizabeth Warren is still arguing for Medicare for all. It's like using 
these kind of stopgap measures as a way to build public support for Medicare for all and allow people to see how effective it is. And I think that, and uh, this is another point of context, if you didn't see this, if you're not extremely on left Twitter, that Adi Barkin, who is a big Medicare for all activist, um, endorsed Elizabeth Warren and released um, an essay in the nation, I believe about why he was doing it. And um, the reception that he got from, uh, Bernie was very warm and then he was very warm back and I thought it was lovely. I, uh, but yeah, I, I, so I understand Kate and I have talked about this a lot. I completely understand, um, your reservations about it. And I think that the grassroots movement, whether or not, whether Bernie or Warren are elected and I obviously, once again, it should be Bernie. I support Bernie. I'm going to vote for Bernie, but, the grassroots movement for Medicare for all is not going away if Bernie is not elected. I, no, I don't think necessarily, but let me, can I lay out my case for why I think yes, this is absolutely. extremely damaging? So I think, you know, again, like in a completely theoretical universe, I think this is fine. And when I talk to people who support Elizabeth Warren, they say things like, it's the same timeline. And I think that that's like the totally wrong question. uh, I think folks who like Elizabeth Warren a lot see her as um, way more pragmatic and like she has similar goals to Bernie, but a more pragmatic way of accomplishing them. And I think that this is, I think for the reasons I'm about to lay out, this is so unpragmatic that it's Mm -hmm. difficult for me to unequivocally conclude that she still supports it so no i'm i'm, I'm not but no i know i but know the, i mean but that is not i'm not alone in that conclusion uh i mean look so and to, to just kind of start with me not being alone in that conclusion uh you know a really wide variety of people have uh, noted this backtrack everyone from you know of course our friends of jacobin to nate silver to the washington post to the la times to uh chicago tribune to sleep i mean some praising bloomberg. her for it bloomberg <laughs> yeah the stock market in the wake of her um medicare for all statement uh it surged health stocks here listen to some of the statements from uh analysts raymond james of rjf said this should be positive for managed care and hospital names uh barclays analyst uh steve feliket sent out uh, an email to his client compared to her previous hardline stance on m4a the new plan represents a significant change in tone in our view not only does the transition plan push out the legislative agenda for M4A, potentially to year three, but it also tacitly acknowledges the practical and political resistance of pushing too much too quickly. In fact, we think Warren's plan was carefully crafted to appease both progressive and moderate Democrats and may afford her flexibility to pivot on health care issues throughout the Democratic primaries. Who all said that? Steve Valenquet from Bar- he's just a Barclays guy, all said her near-term plan seems much closer to the moderate proposals endorsed by Biden and Buttigieg and such as the pivot catalyzed healthcare services stocks on Friday with MCOs, managed care organizations, leading the way. Uh, we have uh, Kramer, the guy from like the Money Madness. Jim, Jim Kramer. Yeah, he was he was going off Queen about how uh, he couldn't believe this. Healthcare stocks were soaring. And, you know, I mean, I definitely, I don't, look, do I believe that like, 
Elizabeth Warren still thinks that Medicare for all in her heart is a good idea. Yeah, totally. But like what's in someone's heart being like a big factor, like that's for lips. Like we can look at, you know, the fact that what happened in the ACA fight was uh, Obama conceded a lot of things in advance to Republicans. And then even after passing, you know, something that was ultimately pretty modest, it was originally a Republican backed healthcare plan. The it was like created by Mitt Romney. Yeah, the insurance industry and Republicans mobilized. They ran all these ads about death panels. The Democrats got absolutely creamed in the midterms. Um, I mean, I think, you know, incumbent presidents, their party almost never wins the midterms. Anyway, the last time Democrats did was under Jimmy Carter. Um, So, you know, and I don't think I think from that fight, it's like pretty obvious that like if Warren even wants to pass a public option, which is going to be really, really hard, that coming to the table with the public option as the first offer is going to lead to something much less than coming to the table with Medicare for all as the first offer. And, you know, I just, it's this plan to like, the way that she lays it out is like, oh, this is my plan. It, I think it sort of betrays a larger problem with the way that Elizabeth Warren sees power. Um, I think it sort of shows that there's this idea that she's going to get stuff through legislatively and just like in this world with, you know, not only terrible, terrible Republicans, but with a huge percentage of the Democratic Party taking money from big pharma and from health insurance companies. Like, it's just, there's not going to be the political will for this. And it's so much easier for the movement to make the case for like, healthcare for everybody versus like, healthcare for some people, it's a little bit less expensive. I mean, even Audie Barkin a few weeks ago acknowledged that. And it's just not even going to work for the public option. But the public, but that's assuming that the public option is your, is your end, is your stop. And that's not what she's saying. She is saying that her end is Medicare for all. And that's what the whole plan is leading up to. I just want to read something that Rachel Cohen from The Intercept uh, said about this that I thought was... And, I, I, you know, I, I ultimately agree with you. I think that the starting chip should be Medicare for all. I just don't think that it would be impossible to get Medicare for all with this plan, because I think the political will and the mass movement for Medicare for all exists outside of Bernie Sanders. I, I agree with that. So, OK, this is what Rachel Cohen said. Uh, if your rebuttal for Warren's plan is, but we'll obviously lose Uh, power after midterms because history what kind of movement are you building what kind of green new deal do you envision to pass the first 100 days are critical but this this determinism is going to kill us all and i i mean that's a little extreme but uh, (laughs) but i mean here's the thing the reason why i don't feel as alarmed by warren's plan um is just because the people who have been in the medicare for all space for a long time are not that alarmed by I, it but i mean some of them some of them sure, are not. sure but i mean like, like the- pramila jayapal in the house is the is the author of the medicare for all bill in the house and she worked with warren very closely on this bill obviously Addie barkin has been in the medicare for all fight uh for a long time and also i think that like the bloombergs of and i've I've said this to you before the bloombergs of the world bloomberg news the more centrist media it behooves them 
to criticize Warren and make it seem like Medicare for all is this very unstable idea because they don't want it to pass. Well, I mean, so some people who have been in the Medicare for all space for a while, notably Jayapal and Barkin, they're not they're not unopposed in that opinion. National Nurses United came out with a <laughs> an intense subtweet. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Physicians for a National Health Program, um, they've come out against Warren's plan. Adam Gaffney, who, who uh, works with that organization, um, says doing this in stages creates a political danger and an it, opening yeah. for opponents to prevent further progress. The longer the rollout, the more political risk. I mean, ultimately... I get it. I agree. I agree with you. I don't. It's not a plan that I'm crazy about. I just I don't see it as it being impossible for us to get to Medicare for all. And it's and you know, this is something that this is not the campaign that she clearly that she wanted to run. She just wanted to be the anti-corruption lady. And that's you know, she has really hung her hat on Medicare for all. And it's worth noting that she is currently in this absolute clown car of a field. Only one of there's only two of them who are running on full on medicare for all this is not a good way to get to it certainly i i I agree personally i know that you don't agree with me here but i I personally think that the difference i think that what she was trying to do with this to me like the the occam's razor makes most sense explanation is that Pete is leading in the polls in iowa one way that he's gaining a lot of political traction because she was uh, ahead of him is he's talking about how she wants to take everyone's private insurance away and he has had a lot of success with that completely scummy disingenuous line of attack that is 100 percent right wing but you know i think that this is very likely a response to that um, but i think it's a really horrible response because it pleases no one like Buttigieg voters who are like worried about their health care getting taken away are not happy. The progressive left is not happy because we want Medicare for all and we want someone who's going to fight hard for it and work with the movement um, instead of, you know, this kind of weird convoluted thing, you know, as I think a lot of people see it. I see it that way. And, I'm you know, I get not everyone, but I think it's kind of a worse of both worlds compromise that is honestly like one of the poorest political decisions that <laughs> that I've seen from her since that DNA test. Yeah, I see I see the Occam's razor as like she's the lady who literally her catchphrase is I have a plan for that. And so when she said I'm for abolishing private insurance, I'm for Medicare for all, everyone's next question is, okay, what's your plan? And so she gave it to them. I don't like she's still pulling ahead of Pete Buttigieg nationally. More more faith in her that she is being sincere here. And she just wanted like this plan was just her doing what she does, which is like working out the numbers in the best way that she knows how, because she is she's not a socialist. She's just like a progressive, pragmatic Democrat. One last point, And this is not something that I think we're even going to disagree on at all. Like, I, you know, Medicare for all will not be easy to get. And I don't, you know, I think like a lot of times, like the people who do not, the people who support like just a straight up public option, you know, they think they're like, well, this is, you know, impossible. Like, don't you know that Bernie is not going to pass Medicare for all? Um, yes, we do. We do know that. We yeah, don't think yeah, that yeah. he's never going to pass it. Um, I think, you know, I know a lot of different kinds of people listen to this podcast. And, you know, I think what leftists think about this, like what we think can happen is 
that there can be uh, a mass mobilization over a long time. We see it kind of already with like folks like AOC and Ilhan Omar being elected and that like this can be Medicare for all specifically can be used as like one kind of thing for people to rally around totally. and um, elect progressive candidates who support it. You know, uh, Bernie also talks about going to like Joe Manchin's district and kind of rallying people. And like, I know people are like, oh, like what's Bernie's plan? Rallies. It's really like a larger theory of power that like there's so much influence from money in politics and that needs to be addressed elizabeth warren has talked about that a lot because i read the the plan that she herself released and she still is arguing for the abolition of private insurance she's still saying we will get to medicare for all so i just don't know like i mean obviously everyone's a politician i don't think that elizabeth warren is like some pure angel or whatever i just from her the other things that she's fought for in her career i do have uh more more faith in her that she is being sincere people have to begin to see like these these centrist democrats that take a lot of money from corporations have to begin to see their constituents as as big of a threat as these corporations can be to them and which is possible because the thing about this issue medicare for all is like everybody has someone in their life that's been sick you know like people have parents that have you know, really needed medical care, kids, people, you know, 500,000 Americans a year, medical bankruptcy. I like, you know, I think I read some statistic on Twitter. I don't know the exact statistic, but basically like, like a really staggering number of Americans know someone who has died from not having health insurance in the past five years. We are some of those, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, there's like a, there's a good argument for the fact that you will be able to eventually rally people around this issue, especially because it's such a morally clear thing. We do need health care for everybody. You know, everybody deserves to be able to go to the doctor. Health care is a human right. You're not going to pay anymore. You don't have medical bills, you know, and that that is like a it's a strong, clear message that inspires people. It's really taken off around the country. There's huge support for it, especially looking at what's happened since Bernie announced his candidacy in 2015. Um, And that especially in combination with some other things like strengthening unions and starting to tax these billionaires their fair share, that it becomes more possible than it is right now but but nobody thinks that it's going to happen tomorrow nobody is under the illusion that bernie like walks in and is like all right i'm passing medicare for all now and that's like so that's like a kind of like it's like a straw man argument yeah it's a straw man argument yeah yeah no i agree with that yeah so anyway uh that is our little segment on medicare for all we did it we did it (laughs) all right uh yeah we i guess that was more balanced than i thought it would be uh we would have to i think we would have to invite a a true elizabeth warren supporter onto the pod (laughs) to to have uh, a contentious debate john is we're calling (laughs) should should we even say that she has a stand for that oh my god (laughs) i've been waiting to make that joke oh my god that's so good but i guess like just one last thing it's not even about medicare for all anymore like the the concept of like political standum is is really stupid like i don't know we need to look at 
like with any of these people like bernie like you shouldn't stand bernie either like bernie like has done a lot of amazing things but he's also done some things that we don't like we don't like his vote on sasta fasta uh, we don't like his his uh, vote against the brady bill i don't like that yeah the you can't you can't blindly stand you don't like look at politicians and like change your views based on what they yeah. are telling you that they want to do y- you have beliefs and then you look for the people that are most likely to implement those totally no and standing no even st- though we no standing we joke stand all the time but really we do not stand <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah we, we're constantly saying that we stand uh, a whole variety of people <laughs> standing is for the pod sake bros we don't do that <laughs> What was I going to say? Um, yeah, no, I think, and this is such, you know, this feels so far out of our political reality a lot of times, but when you're first learning about like representative politics, there is this idea that like, especially at a local level, it's like your constituents are your boss. And because there's so much money in politics, we've really like lost that. But I think the tide is absolutely turning and people are getting really loud and i think that's like the most powerful thing that we can do yes queen vote for bernie (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll be right back bye just listen to reply guys welcome back to reply guys here we are we're here we're back um we have a very special guest today and i'm so excited i wanted to have him on for so long um, he is a comedian. He's a writer. He also is a professional smart person who um, works in the digital journalism space. Uh, my friend and yours, George Severus. Hello. <laughs> I'm so honored to be here. This is like, uh, what a great way to spend an, you an know, afternoon. I don't, I, the way that I know George is through comedy, but also oh, because right. I lived in the same commune with his friend in San Francisco. I forgot about, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that is I, so fun. Oh okay, so when Kate and I first met was when Kate opened for Margaret Cho at, so my friend used to live in this like commune in San Francisco. Um, called the convent yeah um oh and God, i've heard you talk about this yeah that's crazy and i believe margaret lived there for a while when she did like trading spaces or something like that is that wrong should i not she talk didn't about do, this no she didn't do a reality show there i think it was on the table for a minute oh, but okay. th- she just lived there to live there oh she margaret did okay. Cho, yeah just moved in she was yeah. uh in the process of getting a divorce and right. she wanted to change in her life so she moved into my hippie commune okay and yeah. that was really fun we did some shows there yeah well wild. so i saw you guys so the show obviously is called the convent because it's literally a converted convent and actually there's another it's next to the center, which is another commune that's a converted church, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and so I had two friends that lived in the center. And then my friend, do you know Lauren Young-Smith? Yeah. Yeah. So Lauren lived in the convent. So I had three people total that I knew well from college that lived in those two oh spaces. Oh, my gosh. And then I met more people because I spent a lot of time there um, uh, with Helen and Mark. And um, anyway, so they did a show... Kate opened for Margaret literally in the like common area, which was the like chapel. a chapel. So like there was like uh, stained glass. Stained glass. Thank oh you. My gosh. Like behind Margaret as she was literally like showing her ass to the audience. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a wild place. I mean, yeah, sometimes you know uh, leftism can be like, oh, like who's the most leftist? Like if you're not an anarchist, then are you even a socialist? Yeah. You know. But I'm like, 
have any of you bitches communed? Because I've communed. <laughs> I have communed. I have made large pots of beans for 40 people. I would say that that should qualify some cred. So, yeah, one of the reasons why I really uh, wanted to have you on is because for a long time you described your work as studying why the internet is bad. Yes. And um, as a, you know, a devoted... Uh, Reply guy. (laughs) (laughs) As a devoted member of the church of the internet is bad. Um, I'm just really interested in that, especially Mm -hmm. from, and I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, media literacy, especially in the time when we have ostensibly more information than ever at our fingertips um, in the form of digital journalism, but it's very difficult sometimes to parse out how to read it right i just need to stop you for one second okay you saying the internet is bad when you are on it the most it just really reminds me of how all straight women talk about dick (laughs) (laughs) this is terrible eh? okay the hetero pessimism all right all right right, right. george i'm so sorry no no no, it's okay yeah i that is that is true and i am on it all the time and i hate it and i will never stop um (laughs) and everyone should get off the internet mostly me uh but i won't (laughs) George, carry on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think like what a good entry point is. I feel like f- for me, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest reasons I was interested in working at the Tau Center and in like uh, the work that they do was the idea of rising platform power mm-hmm. within like the information economy, basically. So like if you think about the history of the internet, it started as this it started out as having this promise of being this great democratizing force, like all information being free, everyone having the same access to the same information, people's voices being kind of like, uh, leveled so that, you know, a a billionaire has the same influence, so to speak within this like knowledge economy as like someone who's working class, um, whatever. And, uh, And you could make the argument, although I don't think it's true, that at one point it briefly was like that. I think the reason you can't actually make that argument is because of questions relating to access, like who actually had Internet access, who had the literacy at the time to be able to, like, use a non-user friendly version of the Internet, whatever. But but the the dream kind of like in um, within computer circles was that. And and a lot of people in the early Internet days were kind of like uh, very progressive and saw it as like a liberatory force so fine the what's been interesting in the past couple of decades is the the rise of like large companies that control the flow of information in certain ways um and most recently i would say that has been social media companies like i mean Obviously, if you look at a company like Microsoft, that also had a very centralizing force in a different way during like a different era of computing. But like right now, when you look at how Google works and how Facebook works and how to a much lesser extent Twitter, because Twitter has much less power as a company than than the bigger platforms, um, despite how it may seem in our day to day lives. Oh, my gosh. That is so shocking to me. And honestly, good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I just want uh, <laughs> my dream is that Twitter goes down. Uh, on a semi-permanent basis and, and I could be free. free. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I'll let you get back to it in a second and I, I absolutely don't disagree with anything that you're saying, but one thing I was thinking about last night, watching the debate and how stupid their questions were, just how much left punching, you know, just instead of talking about anything 
substantive. It was like asking Andrew Yang what he would say on a phone call to Putin. And I don't really know how I would get news about the things that are relevant to me without Twitter. You know, like, look at how Bolivia was covered. People were like, oh, election problems. You know, it's like nobody nobody (laughs) would say it was a coup. I mean, none of the like mainstream center left media would say it was a coup. You know, and it's just like, yeah, I just, I, I feel like for us on the on the left, you know, like where our concerns are, you know, for the most part, uh, not represented in any meaningful way in any sort of media other than maybe like, you know, Democracy Now!, The Intercept or whatever, like, mm-hmm. you know, Twitter's really, it really serves a useful function in addition to being bad. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's that there isn't information out there that's good. I think it's a, it's a matter of what of what structures that information exists within. Mm-hmm. So if you look at something like, uh, you know, terms of service, rules for harassment, rules for whatever, like all of those things are set by various corporate entities like Twitter and like Facebook, rather than being in any capacity uh crowd created you know like democratically created basically sure and Uh, i I think also the sorry to interrupt you um but i think also going back to like media literacy it's obviously there is a lot of good information on the internet the problem is is that it is right beside garbage information and just like completely fallacious Mm -hmm. um or very heavily biased sources and obviously there's there's bias in in all media but it's like i think it's been particularly insidious with facebook right um yeah i mean i think and that's kind of like to jump around to something slightly different that that what you're describing is kind of the idea of context collapse like Mm -hmm. if you think about uh an old you know the media environment where all media was physical you would go to like a bodega and it would be so clear what was a tabloid what was a gossip magazine yes. what was a newspaper what was a newspaper that was like more sophisticated like you could clearly see the new york times and usa today and you know the national enquirer and understand just visually and like with the the ways the headlines were written what was happening with each of right. those things if you if you of course like had a certain level of education, had a certain level of media literacy. Obviously, like, you know, those inequalities don't go away. But, like, to take all of that and and make it so that it all looks exactly the same in a feed, and not just that, but then add on top of that user-generated content. Right. And on top of that, add entities that look like they're not user-generated content but are. Like, if I have a blog... And it's literally just me writing. I can then just name it like the George Times and have like a nice, d- nicely designed banner. And it, I would w- read it. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, personally, Please, I would. I am funding crowdfunding it. So. Um, we'll post the GoFundMe. Yeah, we're gonna get notes. some some Silicon Valley VCs. Yeah. Uh, in the mix, and George is gonna. Yeah. So I think those are like related but different issues. Like, yeah. I think what you're saying is absolutely spot on. That. Um, the the media environment changed too quickly for people to adapt mm-hmm. and that cha- that created a lot of problems around misinformation and it also gave opportunities to people that like wanted to weaponize the new uh you know weaponize social media to be able to do so with yeah. more ease um i mean if you think about it it's like 
Think about how difficult it would be to literally like make a zine with conspiracy theories and then place it inside of a supermarket. Like that is yeah. literally what is what is so easy to do on Facebook or Twitter. Because of yeah, because of how ubiquitous but, it is. Yeah, and exactly. How easily accessible it is yeah. to people who maybe don't have that media literacy. And I also saw that I mean, Facebook has been, I think, the biggest perpetrator. They've gone before Congress about this, um, about um, the ease with which people can spread misinformation. And um, I did see some news this week that uh, Mark Zuckerberg has been meeting with the president, uh, having secret dinners Mm -hmm. with Donald J. Trump. Uh, So that's tough. Well, it's interesting. (laughs) I mean, mean, fuck Facebook. Absolutely. Fuck Facebook. But... You know, I, I mean, I, I do want to say, like, as much as I completely agree with everything that you're saying, I'm just going to yes and it. Like, let's say we get rid of all these companies immediately and, uh, you know, there's no more social media. It's just just print media. There's a resurgence. But, I, but that's not what I'm saying, though, because no. sorry, go ahead. But, but oh, what that's I was going to say is, is yeah. I mean, it's like I don't I feel like when it comes to misinformation. Yeah. Like. In my opinion is that even with print media, like people need to be a lot more literate. Like, oh, hundred yeah, percent. Like, what I'm saying has nothing to do with like the print versus digital. It has to do with like, well, yeah. So the context collapse issue is like different than the, than the like platform power issue with a platform power issue. It actually mirrors the conglomeration of media companies, even in the print world as well. Yeah, that it's makes just, sense. it's just the idea that like, fewer and fewer companies control more and more of the information. So what I would be arguing for is some kind of sustainable path towards a more democratized internet. Like I think the internet is good and it, and it, and it absolutely like at its best leads to more types of conversations than just reading the newspaper. So I completely agree with you. It's just, it's a matter of like, you know, what would the ideal kind of like, and what would the ideal information environment look like? It would look like, you know, I don't want to say Wikipedia because Wikipedia has its own issues. But <laughs> but if you go towards a model like Wikipedia, yeah. that is like both user created and generated and moderated, but also has people who are slightly more professionalized, like moderators or editors or things like that, like a hybrid model like that, that is in some capacity collectively owned while also not being a free-for-all like reddit or achan yeah like i think moving towards some kind of thing like that is uh is a is a start but if anything because these companies have a so much power and b so much political power through Mm -hmm. lobbying and things like that like um it it's not going to get any better. Like no matter what they do about like things like their harassment policy, things like their misinformation policy, their actual power is going to continue to grow and they will keep setting the stage for what is or is not meaningful, like political discourse, you know? Right. And sorry, I I keep interrupting you, but. but, Oh no. Yeah. To what extent do you think, uh, it actually affects things the way that people consume news? And I'll tell you the kind of context for my question is I feel like, um, like one kind of common liberal line mm-hmm. is that Hillary Clinton lost because of Russian trolls. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I think perhaps that played some part, but I think a much bigger thing is that like, you know, people have lost trust in the democratic party over the past 30 years. Right. You know what I mean? But so like, to what extent do you think um, that 
the news that people are getting on Facebook right. really influences them? Um, I think that's a, <laughs> I, I think that's an extremely difficult question to answer. That like professional researchers have you know have struggled to find like the actual mm-hmm. numbers. So I don't want to speak out of turn. I will say that like it is absolutely true that there was election interference in some capacity in a lot of different ways. It also depends how you define interference. I mean, Fox News is just as much of a misinformation engine as some kind of Russian troll. But of course, the Russian troll story gets much more play because it seems more dramatic and it seems like a a foreign uh, force. So that like is naturally more salacious. Um, So I would say that like, it's tough because all the actual reporting by journalists that has been done on Russian interference, a lot of it is very valuable. But then what happens is people who are already prone to like not admitting the failures of the Democratic Party and not kind of, uh, you know, accepting that there's any possible world in which Donald Trump would win, then latch onto that as like the one thing. If that makes sense. So I I agree with you that it's like one of many things. I don't think, you know, I think often people on the left will go too far in the other direction and be like, there was no, uh, like all of it is like conspiracy theorists from hill bots or whatever. And I (laughs) I don't necessarily feel that way. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. But I, but I definitely agree that like, that's like that's like one of the worst things on twitter like yeah. over hashtag like, still with her yeah <laughs> oh, i've gosh. gotten accused of being a bot like <laughs> you're, you're there. It's, it's like okay you know i've like i have a lot of a lot of engagement on twitter <laughs> a lot of a lot of evidence that i'm a real person well i i think that i think the thing with facebook is is actually um with spreading misinformation and who that affected it, it it mostly has to do with the demographics of who facebook users are old people which are older people who don't have the kind of digital media literacy that allowed them to spot the fallaciousness of some of the things that they because again because of the context collapse and because if you're not a digital native that is much harder to spot Right. No, I agree. I, I, I agree with that. And those people vote. Like, uh, yeah. them, it's, it's the exact demographic again, of people like, who vote. Yeah. It's tough. Beca- it's, it's so difficult to not be alarmist about new technologies because on the one hand, that's so true. And there's a lot of what I like, you know, think about on a daily basis. On the other hand, like I said, Fox News, arguably yeah. so much more harmful so much than worse. any of Absolutely. these Even things. the New York Times. Um, I think there's only been one or two instances of them ever opposing a war. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, maybe not even that. To be honest, like if we're going into the way that consensus is manufactured around foreign policy, that's even darker than like any (laughs) kind of domestic issue. I've been been like, you know what I mean? I've been like watching a lot of uh, old Noam Chomsky videos this week because he's adorable, and I want to MMF with him and Bernie Sanders. Yeah, maybe I'll cut that. No, I mean, but it is like it it really is like (laughs) when you look at something like I don't know the uh, debate around Medicare for all. At least you can kind of like see what the interests are. Yeah, but foreign policy stuff, I'm like, ay ay ay, like. (laughs) This is like uh, it's too dark to even like really look into. Yeah. That's actually the name of my new foreign policy <laughs> yeah. book. Aye, 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 aye. Aye. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, a history of America yeah. and the world. <laughs> but I will say it's interesting. Like when you look into kind of like media history, 
Um, the way we talk about social media now is so similar to how people talked about TV. It's similar to Absolutely. even how people talk about um, telephones. Like there were, I wish I could like, um, you know, remember the specific example. But one time um, someone showed me this like, either PSA or some kind of like thing to raise awareness that was like about the danger of telephones. And one of the biggest fears is that anyone could call into your home and like, and like brainwash your wife. Like that was, (laughs) it was literally like, you're going to have something on the, on your wall that anyone can talk into. What if it's someone that like convinces you to murder someone? Like it, it, I mean, if you think about it, like, well, I mean, even I've, I've actually, I've, I've read some stuff about that as well. And it, and it also goes to like, it's going to make us stupid and it's going to make us, it's going to like melt our brains. And that goes back even further to like, mass market literature exactly oh my god it's like women are gonna learn how to read well remember when 50 shades of gray was really popular i do see their point (laughs) this whole twilight shit ultimately ultimately they were right women shouldn't read can i talk to you for a few minutes about one of the greatest examples of manufactured consent Mm -hmm. i think we have seen in recent times and that is friend of the pod Mayor Pete Incredible transition. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew that that's where you were going, yeah. and I'm on board. <laughs> you knew because I told you in advance, or because yeah. you're just like, she hates yeah. Pete. She tweets about it all day. Yeah. I am I am the uh, in-house white gay who <laughs> is allowed to say the things you guys can't. Well, no, it's not even that. I think we would have talked about Mayor Pete uh, in any event this yeah. week because it was a it was a bad week for mayor Pete. right yeah uh <laughs> one of my okay so and i really hope he doesn't listen to this podcast but one of my my dear friends of many years who i met when i was uh, a waitress in suburban massachusetts who i love dearly real fans will remember real fans will remember um <laughs> announced himself on twitter as a mayor pete supporter and i just i i don't i feel like i don't even know him anymore and it makes me so sad it's so He's fascinating gone. when people my dad said something very okay daddy issues now i'm kidding um <laughs> my dad said something very smart the other day which is that he said that mayor pete is like someone that is made to give people his age hope in young people yes and but I thought without, that was so without, smart. Without actually ever having to change their ideology. Exactly. exactly. It's, yeah. So it's like, this is a young person saying things I want to hear. Right. Can Whereas, I tell you this week, though? I think some of the old people see through it because uh, my mom texted me today. That Kate's she, mom and an okay boomer. Uh, <laughs> a boomer a boomer we like. She, she might have uh, be- become um, upgraded because uh, this, is what she, this is what she said to me um, today. She said, uh, she sent me a picture of a Bernie sign and she said, California Dem Convention in Long Beach this past weekend. California is for Bernie, as am I. And I said, <laughs> oh, that's great. And she says, think he is the only one who quote gets it <laughs> oh my god and my mom is woke oh it's so my, funny god. That my mom understands that the democratic so party i don't have these has been cool failing. woke parents well my yeah. dad still supports biden but my mom says that uh my dad thinks that he's biden's becoming senile but yes i totally agree i think when mayor pete first came around uh my mom texted me about him and she said that um she was did i know anything about him uh and she was gonna support him because she thought that it would be very uh, exciting to me that she was supporting a gay yeah, candidate. Sure. You know, I've actually heard that about a lot of of white moms of her generation. Yeah, yeah I think he is attractive to 
Someone has a crush? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think he is attractive to uh, mothers of uh, UCB alum. Well, he's literally, I mean, he is... You're, it's like he's the favorite son of like okay, a midwestern I mean, mom he, yeah and he literally he passes and if we're talking like respectability politics exactly. or whatever that, yeah. he, he checks all the boxes yeah. a vet ivy league educated speaks a thousand languages rich rich now i guess um mayor of like like still gets to kind of parade himself around as if he's midwestern it really is which is really interesting i mean to his credit at one point I, I mean he is midwestern i don't know what I don't you're wanna... gonna say next but no, 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 i hate no. it if no, no, no. there's <laughs> something positive about pete no, i it's hate not, it it's not positive i was gonna say that and maybe i don't feel this way anymore but i i remember at one point having the thought that when pete was not pulling well and, and when i thought he was going to be kind of like a blip on our radar i was i was having the thought that pete is someone who it's he's a tragic figure because he perfected the art of being the type of politician that is now obsolete yeah like he perfected the art of being kind of like a, a, a an Obama meets Kennedy figure. That's, yeah. And no one wants that's, that anymore, that's I thought. literally like John Kerry. That was what John Kerry yeah. was. Yeah. Can we talk about some of the Pete debacles this week? I would love to. Can we talk about uh, the Douglas plan for oh. black America? That was so crazy. To me. <laughs> this was, oh, this is I insane. did see him taking a selfie with Cory Booker and I was like, he has met one black person. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. So... <laughs> just one (laughs) so he released this plan uh because pete is at some polls uh at zero support with black voters in south carolina like zero um and you know he's had a few uh like there's been some pretty bad stuff with him and policing he has uh not investigated um some claims of police violence uh he has uh his policies were responsible for the displacement of a lot of black and brown people in south bend his kind of pro gentrification measures and people read about this stuff uh, yeah. it is relevant because his only thing that he's ever done in politics has been mayor of south bend so uh anyway he uh released this plan this week um called the douglas plan uh, a comprehensive investment in the empowerment yeah he sends his email to a bunch of people um and basically says you know if you uh, if you don't respond to this email i'm going to assume that you support this plan and so then he publishes all this support from supposedly like black voters yeah yeah, yeah from like 400 people that he says are black people uh a lot of them we're are not, not even black <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and most of them never agreed he said that he had yeah. um the, the endorsement of like three prominent black leaders and they that was news to them mm-hmm. they were like what the fuck you know and then when he put this on his website he used a stock photo of a woman from kenya it was Icon- amazing iconic yeah incredible um yeah and also it's like i think people are paying more attention to Pete Buttigieg now because his poll numbers are doing so well in Iowa and New Hampshire, but it is important to remember that he set up shop in Iowa really early. He has poured most of his campaign money into Iowa and Iowa and New Hampshire are truly just demographically not at all indicative of how the rest of the country is going to vote. But I don't even see him winning Iowa because 
I, I just like the caucuses are so enthusiasm based right. that I just have a hard time seeing him winning. If you don't think that there's enthusiasm for Pete in Iowa, then you have not seen that fucking dance, my friend. Oh my God. I did, did you see, see the, the Pete I, dance on I social media dance. this week? It's so funny because I saw the fake ones, the joke ones first. Yeah. So I saw literally <laughs> like the one of him dance of them dancing to the song from Suspiria. And then like one of them dancing to like some glee song. Like I saw all of the joke ones first and yeah. didn't know what the song was until like last night when our friend Cassie was talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I wonder... I mean... Oh, by the way, can I just add one more thing? Please. So, uh, one of the people that uh, Pete says was endorsing this plan... Um, Cornell was West. Not, <laughs> no, but it was actually a guy that supported Bernie Sanders and was, like, working on the campaign. He was oh, like, God. what are you doing, so dude? Yeah. He's... Uh, I mean, Pete Buttigieg was, to me, he seems like he was created to believe that he would inherit the Obama coalition, but he has, I mean, he's, he's only running, if at all, he's running as like a young Joe Biden. He is running slightly to Biden's left, which means he is to the right of basically everyone else. Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because it's like in the debate last night, you know, like Pete is, you know, he's such a slime ball and like his poll numbers are very low. Like he's doing okay in Iowa, but like for the most part, he's like at 7%, maybe Mm -hmm. nationally. And like all of the major media sources kind of like concluded that he was like the winner of the debate along with Amy Klobuchar in a lot of cases, who they keep saying is winning the debate. Wait, who said that? There were Uh, polls that said that? um, No, this is like... uh, Commentators? Like MSNBC, New York Times. Oh, yeah, I mean... So that's what what always happens. That goes into like the media literacy aspect of this because it's very clear what and organizations politics are when something like that happens who they deem the winner of the debate it's like why every like a lot of the conservative news outlets yeah. regularly are deeming Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard as the winners <laughs> of the debate Tulsi Gabbard Tulsi once again an astounding victory uh, in the debate. <laughs> I mean, that white suit, she keeps bringing it back. I, I mean, she is maybe the hottest candidate. She absolutely <laughs> yeah. is. Probably. Marianne's out of the race now. Yeah. so Probably ever, to be real. Yeah. Marianne's still one of only... Um, only <laughs> no, Marianne is the only... Uh, if she were still in the field, she would be the only one of two people to call what happened in bolivia a coup so we stand marianne's foreign policy <laughs> i yes i'm all in for marianne no i don't really know if she'd call it friend, a coup no she, no she might no, she tweeted she did, about it oh okay she no she she said what happened in bolivia was a coup on twitter and i was like okay all right i was the only reason i thought she wouldn't call it a coup is because i thought she'd be like uh what we have here is the dark forces of evil (laughs) yeah it's a coup by the dark forces of evil yeah yeah. someone needs to sage bolivia immediately that's great that she called it a coup yeah so there was (laughs) (laughs) quack get evil morales some crystals <laughs> a yoni egg will fix this. <laughs> Scorpio season has gone too far. Yeah. <laughs> it is the last Mercury and rec- retrograde yeah. of the decade. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Bolivia is going through its Saturn return. <laughs> yeah. So it was really just yeah. It was so she she and Bernie Sanders. She huh? and Bernie Sanders called it. A, we're the only ones brave enough to call it a coup. Yeah. 
again, I mean, I do think that is why it's valuable to have outsider candidates is for ideas like that to at least be on the table. Obviously, I would never want Marianne Williamson to be president, but like, do I think ultimately that like in a crowded field, it actually is more valuable to have someone like her than someone that's just another carbon copy, like one of the various men that ended up dropping out? Or one of the various ones who announced this week exactly, that they were running. Yeah, yeah it's like, like I would rather have like three more wild cards, like one person that's like work a farmer, one person that's you know a, yeah, then a, like whatever. Mike Bloomberg yeah. and Deval Patrick. No, yeah. thank you. Oh, can I can I say who I think our reply guy of the week is? <laughs> is it Barack Obama again? No, <laughs> he was a strong candidate, but uh, I I think our reply guy of the week uh, is Cory Booker. Uh, so the onion published, uh, I was going to call it an article, but it's not really an article. Um, I don't know what you call it. You could piece. call it, you can call it a, a, a satirical article. Uh, the yeah. onion published a satirical article, uh, Cory book, Cory, Cory Booker taken aback to find dozens of pictures of himself on Buddha judge campaign flyers. <laughs> <laughs> and then Cory Booker uh, retweeted the article and said, it's weird because I've never even been to Kenya. <laughs> Oh my god! Wow. Uh, okay. I mean, you know, I don't really love Cory Booker's politics. Let's go ahead and say I, I do not like them at all. Uh, it takes a lot of money from the pharmaceutical industry, but and also literally wrote an op-ed about how Democrats oh, okay. de- Democrats yeah. should uh, should re should. Democrats should support the existence of charter schools. Well, charter yeah. schools have always been a big part of his I know. thing. Yeah. But I'm just saying for a moment, for a moment. Yeah, we, you we can, can think, here. We you can, can think stand. someone had an absolute sleigh yeah. without agreeing with all the, <laughs> the politics. Can, we can stand our Pete Hayden King. Yes. <laughs> oh, and then he did have that an absolute sleigh. <laughs> <laughs> we did have that like okay moment with joe biden last night it was pretty funny oh yeah part of me like hates when these people are funny because it's like it just it kind of refocuses like people aren't just like oh like yeah let's elect own, the person with the sickest, moments, yeah. sickest burns or something but it was funny uh when joe he was asked about um Joe Biden was asked about uh his uh, assertion that marijuana was a gateway drug and Cory Booker was like I wondered if you were high when you said that. <laughs> and it was pretty funny. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, people are going balls to the wall. I heard Amy Klobuchar had a few good zingers, too. I didn't watch the she, debate. But. I mean, she always has so many jokes. I did not watch the debate either. And I don't understand anything that's going on in impeachment. <laughs> so <laughs> please do not ask me. Everyone keeps messaging me. But Amy Klobuchar has so many jokes written into every debate. And they're all just unbearable my favorite they was so the horrible. meddling which like meddling is what i do when i call my daughter <laughs> yeah oh, she, she's horrible I she should just she should send you in her place uh, to mean, deliver the jokes well I her think. director of comms does follow me on twitter so please wow. reach out <laughs> i told samantha ruddy uh who's our friend we'll have, we'll have her on the podcast and I, I texted her because she has a crush on amy cloeter i love that for her yeah <laughs> Uh, just she, a mean mommy yeah, yeah. No, she no, has like she's Sam. like a, it's like you know amy klobuchar's daddy <laughs> amy has some uh, clear energy i was like i think amy klobuchar kills animals and i said it as a joke but apparently amy klobuchar has been uh, telling this hilarious story about how she accidentally killed a duck while playing oh golf and i'm like it's real she keeps telling that story yeah the stories that politicians like amy klobuchar and most of them tell that they think are funny just shows what absolute sociopaths 
almost all of them are. Well, it's also because they're like, you know that they had a story and then that story was like worked on by five people. Yes. So then what comes out is like an algorithmic, like, then I went to my African-American <laughs> daughter's <laughs> dance. <laughs> like, that's just, uh, yeah. just Bill de Blasio. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's Bill okay, de Blasio. And my other favorite moment from the d- debate last night, it was uh, pretty funny. Um, can I just play you a video? Yes. It's hilarious. So uh, here is an exchange between uh, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris. And I will say that I, I loved to see it. So I have more people supporting me in the black community that have announced for me because they know me. They know who I am. Three former chairs of the Black Caucus, the only African-American woman that ever been elected to the United States Senate. A whole range of people. No, My point no, is, that's not true. true. The other that's one is true. here. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, that's so perfect. Oh my so god. If you didn't catch what happened there. Uh, I wish I'd watched just Joe, for that. Joe Biden said that uh, he, he was supported by the only African American woman ever elected to the Senate while standing and, on the same and, stage and as Corey the Booker other one. said that's not true. <laughs> And Kamala said the other one is here. Kamala's like, that little girl was me. (laughs) (laughs) That little that little senator was me. (laughs) Oh man. And I mean like I feel like part of what we're talking about with like Pete, you know, is just like the the way that he's framed as progressive, it like, it like he, it, if Pete were not gay, like people would not buy the fact that he that's, is in any way, anything thing. other than Republican. So here's the thing with that. It's something I think about a lot. It's, it goes both ways because on the one hand, yes, Are you he saying has, he's bisexual? I'm saying he is <laughs> bisexual with billionaires. and a sub. He likes men and he likes billionaires. He is bisexual. Um, no, but I think like, on the one hand, yes, it's he's kind of working the gay thing to his advantage. On the other hand, something that makes him so palatable is that people basically forget that he's gay. Yeah. Like, I feel like so many of his supporters are the type of people that are like, I don't care if you're gay, straight, black, or purple. <laughs> like, it's, I, I think he's more... As long as you love cops. <laughs> like, he is more, you know... I, the thing with Pete is that he does this thing... And I'm well, that's a sorry to stereotype. That's, that's a it is a respectability thing, thing yeah. but it's also that even his voice, it, I recognize it as literally the voice I would use on the phone when I was closeted. Like it is literally, <laughs> it is literally like it, it is overcorrecting so that you sound like Sean Connery. Like oh it's my literally God. being like, "Yeah, I have a girlfriend." Like, like that is. <laughs> she and, lives in Canada, but she's I definitely real. I know that's so you know, that's a loaded thing to accuse someone of because obviously there are. Very more masculine and more feminine men of all uh, sexualities, right. but it really is. It, it's this thing of like, but that's but that's he's. I think he's like playing both sides exactly, of the fence there yeah. because he has done everything in his um, career and in his upbringing to be like the specimen of who we think of when we think of a president, and to the point where people are like, oh, he's, you know, I forget that he's gay. Like bigoted people are like, right. I forget that he's gay, but then he's also, you know, using that in to his advantage in like he, he he kind of leans on that when it suits him which i guess yeah. is like his right but i don't know but i also think just on a more 
uh, concrete level, he actually is not someone who is Gay. comfortable. I've suspected it all along. <laughs> no, he's not someone who is comfortable in queer spaces. He is someone yeah. who came out on the later side. I, I'm pretty sure dated, you know, married one of the first people he dated, if not the first. Like, if you, if you like look at like when he came out and then when he started dating Chas and when they got married, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just mean that I think it actually is more difficult for him than it would be for, um, I don't know, certain other queer politicians to actually relate to the queer community. Like, I don't, I think he probably feels more comfortable in, a fundraiser hosted by uh, straight businessmen well, than no. even gay businessmen. No, <laughs> yeah. totally. And I and I think that you're completely correct about that because if you look at, you know, the the places where he became who he is today, they are they're 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 not queer spit. They're not yeah. you know it's the U.S. military and right. um you know the Ivy League or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing is like. I see so I see so many people I know in him because I mean as Julian I I went to college at like an elite university much like the one Pete went to and then f- before I like started doing comedy and started working in in my current job when I was young when I was like 23 I worked in tech for 2 years and I you know I so many of my friends from college have since gone on to business school or you know work in tech or uh, people I know, not friends, but people I know, like, work in politics from college. Um, and it, it's just, like, it's, it's, a, it's like, crafting an identity with nothing at the center of it, I guess. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, like, a perfect summation of... Yeah. In fact, his speech trader is someone... Okay, get ready for this. Tom Steyer's brother taught a class that I took that was a lecture series. It was like a one-unit lecture series called Justice and the Obama Presidency. Okay. And he had various, like, it was very, like, MSNBC, like, one conservative and one liberal per session debating the issues. Um, Anyway, the TA for that class is now Pete's speechwriter. So it's just, like, the whole thing is so... It's just, like, if you're part of that crowd... It's so incestuous. It's so incestuous. And... And because all these people just want to work on a winning campaign, they don't actually, they're not motivated by a specific vision. It's like, I'm sure that that person would have just as happily worked for Kamala or for Biden or whatever, but like the opening was for Pete's campaign. Um, And I think... I mean, a lot of these people are job seekers like yeah. anyone else. And and why shouldn't they be on some level? Like yeah. they want a job. Like, but, yeah. but it is, it, it's, there are all these like interchangeable kind of like centrist, center left candidates that, anyway, but going back to the gay thing, <laughs> I do want to just publicly come out as pro Chastin. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, well, I think Chastin is like a very sweet improv gay totally i think he's like he's a perfect political he, husband he's in a lot like, of ways yeah i i read a profile of him that was about how like when he came out he was disowned by his family to live you know out of his car and then he ended up like teaching theater like he he's someone who i don't think knows a lot about politics i think Absolutely like not. pete was this kind of like older harvard educated smart guy with political oh, ambitions what's the age difference how old is Jackson? um I think the age difference is maybe around eight years. Yeah. Oh, so Chastin's like yeah. uh, 31. Chastin is, I think, 30. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. yeah. I remember like discovering. Oh, yeah, no, because Pete is 
Peter's 38, Only I think. 37? 37 or 38. Yeah, yeah, he's 37. He talks about it all the time. Did you know he's a millennial? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so just this wanted to put that out there. <laughs> this is why we can't have a millennial be president. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, there are too few uh, degrees removed from UCB. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Zoom or press. <laughs> I will say I know someone who took an improv class with Chastin. That is, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You, you told me about tell that Tell me. What did they say? Was he a guest ander? Do you know what? She said he was her best friend there. Oh, my God. And that he was like a sweet guy. Honestly, he does seem like a sweet guy, but kind of just like a... Like I wish I could rescue you. Yeah, I don't. It's not that. It's not that I'm like. He's the Melania of Pete. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I just think he's like someone who loves Hamilton and, you know, uh, Parks and Rec. Like he would be. He would probably be part of like Resistance Twitter. If totally. He, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get it. He listens to Pod Save America. I guess I would describe him as harmless. Yeah, on yeah, his yeah. own as yeah. a person, of course. Yeah, I think you know, that. I also think. I don't know. There's also something about like the relationship is also kind of a mystery to me. I'm I don't want to so, like I mean, say the, too much, yeah. but I, I'm just like Pete is nothing without him. Yeah, Pete is nothing without. Also, him. was it like I'm sorry, and I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but it's like how much of this relationship was planned? How much in advance? How much was Pete like we should get married now before I or during yeah. my mayor during? I mean, you know, Pete seems like he's thought about everything in his I, life I that way. I mean, the fact that. I know it's been said before, but like the idea of going to Harvard, then working at McKinsey and then in a strategic ploy, attending the military for the sole purpose of saying you're a vet. Like it's just, it's the exact, and I, and I've said this before on the podcast, um, Congressman Seth Moulton, it's, it's his exact trajectory pretty yeah. much, except Seth Moulton is straight, but it is a similar, just hollowness at the center. Just everything has been in service of, a resume being built to be president. Right. George, I do quickly want to talk about your reply, guys. You finally, uh, George is incredible on Twitter. He is my favorite follow. If you only follow one person on the fucking website, it's at George Severus. I'm plugging your Twitter right please, now. Please, please plug. Um, please follow I, me. I, I we'll plug. put it in the show notes Thank too. You. It's going to be can't in the show spell notes. Severus. But um, yeah, so George uh, had a, a very cryptic tweet i I ruffled a few feathers uh really had an unexpected shockwave throughout the internet and it was so funny i got a bunch of texts about it saying who is george talking so everyone well let me just let's have you read the tweet first okay i will i will read the tweet first and then i will (laughs) describe uh there were the literal behind, the oral history the oral history of this tweet there literally were people making memes out of the tweet that is how it's really wild. i want to know I okay know so here we is. go i tweeted this yesterday at eleven twenty-six a.m meaning a mere hour after leaving therapy i said there is a relatively new gay in the comedy community who is having an extremely destabilizing effect on people's psyches but what else is new all right so that was a tweet The story behind it is truly that our friend Cassie and I were having a conversation about this uh, newer comic who I'm uh, kind of a newer friend of mine who I really like and think is super funny and is like young, maybe uh, early 20s, super funny. And Cassie said something along the lines of like, oh, my God, I love him. Oh, I'm obsessed with him. Like and then we were like going back and forth and just about how like it 
just like it's exciting to see new people and oftentimes we actually don't like a lot of the people that you know are new but this person is like really great and and then we got to talking about like other new people and we kind of just like talked about the con the idea of like there's always some new young funny person that makes everyone lose their minds because they're like who's the new guy it's like yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. like the small town element of like not just the comedy scene but specifically like the gay sub section of the comedy scene so then i used i i just like th- used that exaggerated language to kind of like make that joke yeah yeah but of course the way i worded it had two problems <laughs> <laughs> One was that it, it seemed like I was targeting someone specifically. And the second is that you can interpret it as me actually saying something negative about someone yeah. and saying like, you came and destabilized the community. Whereas what in fact I was saying is like, isn't it funny when like a new person makes everyone horny? Yeah. <laughs> or, like, or like a new person. And it truly was not, I like, it was not about someone specific. So much so that the per- the person that Tassie and I were initially talking about, I literally texted him and was like, isn't it funny that you inspired me to write this? Ha ha ha. Like, but it's obviously like, whatever. Um, anyway, so then I'm going to put them on blast. I'm in a group chat with Joel, Kim Booster, Pat Regan, and Matt Rogers and, and various other people. But Joel, Pat, and Matt all at the same time quote tweeted it and basically like jokingly were like, who, Joel said like I'm in two group threads about this and then Matt was like team destabilizing gay or like who is the destabilizing gay and then Pat said something along the lines of oh yeah raise your hand if you've been personally destabilized by Regina George Severus <laughs> so then they and again it's like what people don't know that I was this was like an even an inside joke among yeah. us. Like I was literally talking to them. So people thought that they were earnestly like, who is this? Like blah, 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 blah. So then I really do think that those three, you know, love them all to death. But I do think that they were the ones who really like, cause they all have like, cause pretty, they all have well, way, large, way larger. Yeah. Who is than the I destabilizing gay now? It's truly, I mean, <laughs> that's the irony of it all is that I am ultimately the destabilizing gay. <laughs> but the ultimately, de- that destabilizing <laughs> gay was me. <laughs> that little destabilizing gay was me. It was inside you all along. Um, so then it just like, it truly, so so what my biggest fear, because I had told uh, the initial person that, it, that, you know, this guy that inspired it, I had told him thinking it was just funny and I was like ready to move on. But then it blew up. So then I felt back as I was like, oh no, I hope... He doesn't feel weird about the fact yeah. that like, and again, it was not about him. It was just like inspired but by so a many, conversation It, it was that him. thing that happens so often with reply guys, which is that they, people, so many people respond to this as if it was totally sincere and yes. as if you were making like a really measured critique. Right. <laughs> well, it's also, I think people that know my sense of humor and know that like often I make jokes where the entire point is that I'm using ridiculous language totally. to talk about something simple. Like, I mean... I feel like so much of my humor is literally that. It's like yeah. me, like that's. I mean, that's a lot of us. That's yeah. like, of course, of course. Yeah. I'm not saying I invented. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm just, I'm just like, saying that that happens yeah. a lot of times with jokes that blow up. Yeah, on, yeah, totally. Is that people don't understand how comedy right. works? So I start getting. Obviously, first round is text from friends, like from our from our comedian friends, like, oh my god, who is it, blah blah. Second round is people who are, I would say, comedy adjacent. Let's say like writers online yeah, yeah. who like know comedians or kind of like Twitter gays of one sort or another who are like involved in the discourse, but like secretly are lawyers. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> um, so that's like second round. Then I start seeing fully random people quote tweet it and be like, it's me. I'm the gay or something <laughs> like then I kind of like log off for a bit. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. This is like too much for me. And then I log back on and someone, people kept being like, this is like becoming really like, uh, uh, ridiculous blah blah so then I decide to Twitter search various key terms like destabilizing gay community or something and so I start seeing people that have posted essentially start started using it as a meme format to be like <laughs> that feel when you're the gay the, destabil- the gay destabilizing the psyches of the community <laughs> or like and, and so I find one of the and this I would say this is maybe my reply guy even though technically I was the one who reached out to him but I found this one guy that tweeted um, when you're trying to find out who the gay destabilizing the Brooklyn comedy community is, and it's like a screenshot of basically like a group chat where like six different people are typing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I, I was like, I thought that was funny. So I commented like, oh my God. And then he commented back, the DMs are open or something. <laughs> All right. So then I DM'd him because I was like, this is funny. He seems like a normal enough guy. Um, I tell him the truth. I'm literally like, I literally was just trying to make a point about how there's always like a young person everyone's obsessed with. It's not really about anyone in particular. And then he tells me the story of how he has spent like the best few hours of his day, which is that A, he has messaged someone we know on Grinder asking who it was because it like <laughs> popped up on his Grinder that's that someone I'm friends with was like in his area. Then he had like multiple feelers out. He lives in a different city. He had multiple feelers out in the New York comedy community, including one person that was in my group chat who, you know, basically was messing with him and was like, I know, but I can't tell you who it is. <laughs> I think destabilizing gay it's might be true. the title of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, that please. destabilizing gay yes. was me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so then, and we just like had this back and forth. Then he was like, as we were talking, he was like, wait, hold on. I have a new piece of Intel. Someone else who I won't say who it was like texted my friend that he knows who it is. <laughs> And then I was like, who is it? It was like, not the right, whatever. This is like an episode of Homeland. But <laughs> well, <for> the- <laughs> what's crazy about it is that it truly, at the center of it, was me uh, expressing positive feelings about someone. Yeah. Like it, and I, and I realized that when you read it, that is absolutely not how it comes across. No, if you don't know my yeah, sense no, of humor. That's, that's totally true. And that is the story of so many. Yeah harmless jokes on that website because everyone was basically thinking who is this toxic person that has a bad reputation that george is call is subtweeting or calling out calling out or calling in um <laughs> yes or ca- well i was not calling in apparently i was calling out anyway so um truly just congratulations to everyone involved it's an honor just to be at the center of attention for one day <laughs> All right, George. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. You want to plug your Twitter one more time? Sure, at George Severus. Please harass me. Yes, he's a destabilizing gay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out
went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. 